Let's look into the Bible in Ezekiel 18. And this, <clears throat> I, uh, again, I've not felt like God's given me a series of anything particular to preach yet, but I had been thinking about this off and on the last few years of this topic of personal accountability. Personal accountability, personal responsibility, you could say also. <clears throat> and it is spoken about right here in this chapter. Ezekiel, who is this guy? He is, he is a prophet. He was taken with captives from Israel, taken from his home country because of the sin of his whole country. And as a captive, as an exile, he's exiled now in Babylon. And that happened again because over many years his country became increasingly more sinful and God said that would happen if they forsook him. But now God's using Ezekiel, who's with everybody else who's captive. There's some still in Jerusalem. God is using Ezekiel to still be a prophet to them in a non-ideal place. Okay? Our life doesn't always have to be ideal for, us to, for God to use us, right? His life wasn't ideal. Uh, it's probably hard finding kosher food. It probably smelled different. He didn't like the language. But God says, this is where we're going to work with this. You're still going to be a prophet here. And they still, these people still needed to be ministered to. They still had sin they weren't letting go. And he, God was delivering messages to the people through the prophet in a foreign land that they were exiled in. And one of the issues was they felt like God was unfair and that they didn't deserve to be punished, and whatever they did were doing wasn't their fault anyways. That was kind of the idea going into this chapter. And Ezekiel says, oh, wait a second, God has something to say about you uh, with that it's not my fault attitude. Here we go. We're just going to read. This is, a, this is a, a, you might say, heavy chapter. We're not going to read all of it. I plan to read verses 1 to 18, and, and we will try to help you get the ideas that are out of it. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. <clears throat> As I live, saith the Lord God, Ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. <clears throat> but if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, and hath not eaten upon the mountains, it's a practice that they are particular reference to idolatry. Neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, hath covered the naked with the garment. <clears throat> He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, 
hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgments to deal truly, he is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord God. <clears throat> if he beget a son that is a robber and a shedder of blood, and that doeth the like to any of those of these things, and that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth <clears throat> upon usury, and hath taken increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. Now, lo, if he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins which he hath done, <clears throat> and considereth and, and doeth not such like, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath oppressed any, hath not withholden the pledge, neither hath spoiled by violence, but hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment, that hath not taken off his hand from the poor, and hath not received usury nor increase, hath, in, hath executed my judgments, hath walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed and spoiled his brother by violence and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. Amen. Yet ye say, why? Doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father? When thy son hath done that which is lawful and right and hath kept all my statutes and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon Him, and the wickedness of the wickedness of the wicked upon Him, shall be upon Him. This passage reminds me of, I read about this, and this is kind of funny, about, um, <clears throat> not that the passage is funny, but the story is funny because the passage isn't funny, really. Um, it's serious. I read about a minor league baseball manager, okay? And he, it was like a practice, scrimmage practice of some sort. And he's, and he's dealing with his guys, uh, first base, second base, all the positions, and he's barking out different things. And, and his center fielder was just not doing that great. I mean, he is making a few errors. And this is just a scrimmage, you know? And, um, and so... He got angry and he pulled, get out, whatever his name was. Johnson, come on out. And he said, I'm going to go out there myself. The manager went out to center field himself and played that position in place of the guy, his player that he was so angry with. He gets out there and the, I'm going to show him how it's done. And the manager's out there playing. And the first ball that comes to him, um, it's a, a line drive and it takes a bad hop. A bad hop means it's not a, it bounces, doesn't bounce in a predictable way. It bounces and it hits him in the mouth. He's supposed to scoop it up, and it bopped him right in the mouth. Oh, shakes it off. The second time, the second hit, there's a high fly ball. High fly ball. 
And he's going up his, he puts up his glove and he's losing it in the sun. And it went and hit him right on the top of the head. Bump. Well, you know, he's probably seeing stars and different things like that. That was the second one. Bounces off his head. The third one, he gets a really hard line drive. That's not a pop fly. That's not a bouncing one. That's like a, a bullet coming right at you. Hard line drive right to center field coming right at him. He charged because he wanted to catch. He had to run up to it. He charged, put his arm out, and it just went right there, hit him right in the eye. Boom! Hits the, you know, he's hit in the face. He's hit, in the, he's hit on the head and hit in the mouth. And he gets all upset. He runs. He goes back to the dugout. He is so angry. Goes back to the dugout, grabs that center fielder that he had benched, grabs that center fielder by the uniform. He says, you idiot! You got center field so messed up, I can't do anything with it. <laughs> Matt's like, okay, yeah. Think about that. Whether it's true or not, I, I don't even know. But you know what? I can see somebody really doing that. You know why? Because it's in our nature to do everything we can except take the blame for our own things, right? I got to blame somebody else. So we live in a blame-filled society. Here's a, a couple other examples. <clears throat> um, in 1980, a Boston court acquitted Michael Tyndall of flying illegal drugs into the United States. Tyndall's attorneys argued that he was a victim of, quote, addiction, pardon me, he was a victim of, quote, action addict syndrome, an emotional disorder that makes a person crave dangerous, thrilling situations. So Tyndall's, Tyndall was not a drug dealer. He was merely a thrill seeker. Oh, he kind of got out of that. There's the famous Twinkie syndrome. Attorneys for a man named Dan White, who murdered in San Francisco, who murdered San Francisco Mayor George Moscone, blamed the crime on an emotional stress linked with Mr. White's junk food binges. So he was acquitted of murder and convicted on a lesser charge of manslaughter. Nowadays, nobody's at fault for anything. It seems like we are a nation of victims. Seems like. <clears throat> People are trying to get away from accountability. Let me, let me read this to you. This is interesting. Listen carefully to what this guy said. This is something that was said years ago in the 1700s, and it makes me think of some mentality today in our politics. There's a man named Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who wrote in, this, in 1762 a classic treatise on freedom called The Social Contract. has a familiar opening line. It says, man was born free and everywhere he is in chains. But the liberty that Rousseau envisioned wasn't freedom from the state tyranny. It was freedom from personal obligations like... In his mind, the threat of tyranny came from smaller social groupings, family, church, workplace, moral expectations, and the like. We can escape claims made by these groups, Rousseau said, by transferring complete loyalty to the state. 
In his words, each citizen can become perfectly independent of all his fellow citizens through becoming, quote, excessively dependent on the republic. Government becomes God. You know, trying to get away from accountability. Here's the, so here's, here's chapter 18. It's about personal accountability. That's, that's the idea today. But let's talk about what's happening here. <clears throat> um, Israel, the Israelis, are, are still trying to blame um, for their... First of all, they're saying... It seems like they're saying two things. We don't deserve this discomfort. And even what we are doing, it's not our fault anyways. They were still, even though they're in a foreign land, the group that Ezekiel was dealing with, they got yanked out of Israel and in this foreign land. They're still practicing idolatry. There was still not everybody was repentant. And so, and so what they said was, well, it's because of our dads. There was a common proverb, it was a common tweet that kept getting retweeted, okay, in their society. And it went like this, and it sounds weird to us, but look what he says. Verse 2, God says, what mean ye by this, that you use this proverb, that means it's a common saying, the land of Israel, in the land of Israel, concerning the land of Israel, saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, saith the Lord God, you shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. So basically they're saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. We are not worthy of judgment. Our fathers sinned, and we're just inheriting their ways. And it's not our fault that we're doing what they do. They're saying, you know, we can't be held accountable because our fathers sinned, and so, so now just because we're sinning doesn't mean we should be punished for it. And God says... God says, basically, I'm in a, I'm, from now on, verse 3, you will not have any occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. I'm going to abolish that excuse that it's not my fault that I'm sinning, that it's not my fault. I'm going to abolish that excuse. Um, basically, God says, look at verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So God says to all of them, look, it's not so much that you belong to your dad. And therefore, you're just like him. You all belong to me, and I know exactly what you're like. And the one soul that sins, it shall die, he says. He's talking, in other words, what you do, you get for what you do. He says that in positive and negative. I'm not, by the way, I'm not trying to create a bad negative message here. I'm just trying to help us see a principle that they had to deal with and show how it applies to us today. Is Each Israeli was personally accountable to God, so also with us. We, you've heard me speak on this when we talked about the judgment seat of Christ. What was true, what God is saying is true for them, is true for us. God said, you guys are all accountable for what you're doing. Look at verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's not that the soul that sinneth, everybody around them shall die because of that. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. The wickedness of the wickedness shall be upon him. Now, 
I'm going to try my best to picture what I think it actually came down to in their day. I think he's talking about more earthly existence for them at this point. I think he's saying, those of you at this point that are continuing on in sin, you're going to shorten your life. He's saying that to Israel. And those of you, I'm watching you in exile. I'm watching how you're responding. I'm watching how you're living now. Those of you that decide, I'm going to repent of my wickedness. I'm going to follow the Lord even though I live in Babylon. You're going to continue on. I think he's speaking on their case of their earthly cause and effect of how they live. Earthly continuation. It applies in some ways to us for eternal life. The soul that goes without remission of sins, it shall die. The soul, the person who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, you have remissions of, sin, of sins, you get all His righteousness placed on you. That soul shall live. And the difference is you make that decision for yourself. You make the decision to continue on in sin for yourself. Or it's your responsibility to make the decision to trust Jesus as your Savior and you get that benefit of His righteousness on you and you shall live eternally. That's the New Testament way of applying this. I can't make my kids get saved. They have to decide that for themselves. I can't spring... I mean, we got this one book one time on parenting years ago. Somebody had given it to us and it was about... It was a Presbyterian and I know some Presbyterians preach the gospel. But it had this thing about making sure your child gets sprinkled as soon as they're born and all this. I'm like, what's that going to do? I don't see that in there in the Bible. It's like it's going to kind of give them a little extra grace... I don't see that in the Bible. No, they have to come to some cognition of themselves and of their sin, and they believe on Jesus Christ for themselves. They receive His righteousness, and they're saved. This is talking about personal accountability. Eventually, we all, well, we all are personally accountable to God now. He's watching what I do and what I'm choosing, and God knows what's being done on me that's not of my choosing. Do you know that? So that you're not at fault if you were abused. You're not at fault if somebody ran into you while you're sitting still as a law-abiding person in a car. You're not at fault for that. You're at fault for what sin you choose. You're at commendation before God for what good you do for Him that you are willingly choosing. I'm not at fault for what's done upon me or to me. I'm, I'm responsible for what is done by me with the abilities I currently have. That's the idea here. God says, I've read every one of you. He says, I know if there's a guy, he has scenarios. He has a, a man, the son of that man, and then the son of that man. So a, a, a father, a son, and a grandson. He describes three different scenarios. He says, if there's a man, and he just does the right thing, and he's, you know, he's given to the poor, and he's covering those that don't have enough clothes, and he's abstaining, he's being faithful to his wife. He doesn't go up there on the parties on the mountains and the idolatrous, cool, fun worship services. He stays away from that. He keeps simple worship before the Lord. He honors the Lord. That guy's righteousness will be upon him. I'm going to see that. I recognize that. But if that guy, this good man, it says... This is what he says. This good man has a son, and he just blows it. He's like, you know what? My dad should have went up to that mountain and had a good old time. I'm going to go up that mountain, meet some girls, and have a cool worship service. And I go up there, and I do this and that. And, and I, not only that, I, you know, I'm going to let people borrow money from me, but I'm going to nail him with some interest. The Jews were not supposed to charge interest, okay? I'm going to nail him. And he was just, he was immoral. He was dishonest. He was godless. And he's the son of a good man. 
If that kid, and he oppresses the poor kid, he's a man, and he spoils people by violence, he doesn't give back things that are borrowed or, 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 or business deals he's not honest with, God says, that guy shall not live. He did all these abominations. His blood will be upon him. In other words, the consequence that God will bring on this guy will be for what this guy did. God's not going to abstain bringing this son of a good man punishment because he's the son of a good man. He says, you chose this, you chose the sin, you get the wages of sin. This guy chose the righteousness, gets the wages of righteousness in an earthly sense for the Jews here, okay? But then it says, then God says, all right, so if this kid, he's the son of a good man, he's wicked, but he has a son. And this, you could see this happen in the kings, by the way. Follow the generation of kings. You have a good dad, bad son, good son. Whoa, it's like skips around. But if this wicked guy, he has a son, and that son says, you know, I saw what my dad did. That was a bad idea what he did. I'm going to do the right thing. Follow grandpa, what grandpa did. And that son, it goes on to describe verse 14. He sees all the sins that his, his father has done and considers it. It's like, I'm not going to do like that. He considers that. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do those things. I'm going, to, I'm going to abstain from that. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to be kind to the people I walk with itself. I'm going to take care of my family. As for his father, because, or he says, he, hath, he shall surely live, God says. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. The wickedness of the wickedness shall be upon him. That God again says that I recognize everybody that they're responsible for their own choices and I will respond to them of the choices they're making. So here's the question. What kind of choices am I making that I am independently making? Do they merit a chastisement from God? Or do they merit eventually some reward from God? Now, our, our primary reward is in the next life. You know, living the Christian life is a good idea anyways, even if there was no God. It's like, it seems to be a pretty good deal, you know? But beyond that, the ultimate response from God is in the next life. <clears throat> so what kind of, am I, how, how do I view the choices that I'm making? Do I blame people? I want to encourage us here to take personal responsibility in, of, in four areas of choice. Take personal responsibility in these four choice areas. Take personal responsibility for your service to God. Take personal responsibility for your sin choices. Take personal responsibility for your spiritual attitude. And take personal responsibility for your salvation decision, which would be really the primary thing. We are personally responsible in these areas. Personal responsibility for my service to God. Again, verse 18, 5 through 9, God says, I see that Israeli, what he's doing. And I'm going to reward him for, for the, the good that he's done. Hold your place and look in Colossians. Colossians 3. Uh, let's just get a bigger context. Verse 22 to 25. Colossians 3, 22 to 25, the context he's speaking about husbands, wives, then fathers, then he goes to servants here, and he says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, not unto men, 
knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons with God. We've said this before, that aren't you glad that it's, it's the, the running theme in the whole doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ. Aren't you glad that God is watching every one of you, every one of us? Let's just say all of us that are saved in here right now, okay, that hopefully everybody is. But, and God's seeing the track of your life, and God knows your mileage and knows what, you know, your occurrences, and God knows your opportunities and knows the opportunities that you had and knows the opportunities that you didn't have. And God knows the talents that you have, and He knows the talents you don't have. And, and, and God's going to hold you accountable for the talents you did have, not the talents you didn't have. And God's going to hold me and you accountable for the opportunities I did have, not the opportunities I didn't have. And, and God sees in our in our uh, path of life. He sees, and, 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 and it's still somewhat a mystery, He sometimes allows some unfair thing come on us that wasn't of our choosing, and He knows that, and He knows how that may have handicapped you, but He also sees how you respond. And I'm just saying, in the big picture, He sees the big picture. And you'll say, I see what you did, I saw what you didn't do, and I saw how you chose and how you didn't choose, and I'm going to reward you accordingly. <coughs> I'm, I'm so glad God is like that. He sees that you might have challenges in your relationship scenario that other people don't have, where it's right, very easy. He sees that. And He will reward every man according to his work. He will render to every man according to his deeds, Romans 2.6. I need to take responsibility for my service to God. So... Um, I, um, we should all choose to do right because it is right, but we should choose to do right also because God sees it and not say, well, you know, I, I'm in a good family and so God's good with me because I'm in a good family or I'm in a good church, so God's good with me because I'm in a good church. No, God sees you for you. So take personal responsibility for how you serve God and live before God. Number two, I need to realize that I am personally responsible for my sin choices, my sin decisions. I'm not responsible for a sin decision done on me. I can try to avoid it as much as I can. And sometimes I have to, it's hard to respond to it. But I'm not responsible that it happened in many cases. I am responsible and I must take responsibility for the, the sin choices I make. That's a major issue in this passage. Again, chapter 18, verse 10. If he, verse 18 or verse 10, if he beget a son that is a robber. Who begets the son? This good man begets a son, and he decides to go this way as a robber. God says, if that kid that comes from this good family decides to go and be a robber and a thief and a fornicator and an idolater and all that, God doesn't say, I'm going to beat his dad up for that. God doesn't say, I'm going to give him a pass for that because his dad was good. God says, I'm going to deal with him for that, for what he did. We should tell our own children that. My wife and I tell our kids we're trying our best to raise them up in the way they should go and get them going like that so they keep going in the straight path. But we tell them when you leave, it's you and God now, not me. 
you know. God knows what you got taught, what you didn't get taught. And how you fly is it's you and God. And I'm not making it condemning. I'm a Christian. I'm just letting well, that's a fact. What do you think God wants you to do now? My voice is not there. So, but back to this thought. <laughs> okay. Anybody think of, okay. What was the first sin? Eve sees the fruit, saw those pleasant to the eyes, good to make one wise, all that. She took, so she disobeyed God right there. I'm going to disobey God. I got beguiled by Satan. She gives her husband, okay, he takes some too. They both sinned. That's their sin. And then the symptoms of the sin nature start showing up right away. Hide. They hide from God. And then when God finally confronts them, what happens? Adam, you know, you know what's the deal? The woman that thou gavest me. You know, you know, when he said, the woman which thou gavest me, the more I think about that, the more I think, that is really offensive. That is very offensive to God and to her. The woman you gave me. She gave me to eat. Oh, just like you're letting your, boss, your wife boss you around, huh? Yeah. So, I mean, it's such a, it's a two ugly things. That you're, put, you're putting this thing on this woman, and then you're blaming God. But what is he doing? He's blaming one of the early fruits of the sin nature. One of the early symptoms of being a sinner is blaming others when you do sin, right? He's blaming already. It's her fault. You gave her, and then she did. Yeah, yeah. And then God says to her, what, what's the deal with you? Well, the serpent beguiled me. She had more excuse than he did, I think. I mean, she was just like, well, you know, the serpent beguiled Eve, Paul said, but she still did sin. And so she's blaming in a way. And then God, so God gave it to punishment. But I need to take responsibility for my sin choices. Look at verse 30. I will, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways saith the Lord, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions and so iniquity shall not be your ruin. So let me say a couple things about this. We're talking about the fact that I'm responsible before God. It's my responsibility to choose to serve God. It's mine. I, I hope all my children do, but I hope they do because it's their choice and not just because I put pressure on them. I hope you choose to live godly when you leave this hopefully godly place because you're choosing to do it, not because you're wondering if pastor's watching you. It's your responsibility to make those choices. I need to take responsibility for serving God. I need to take responsibility for when I sin. When I make sin choices, I need to take responsibility for my sin choices. And a couple thoughts related to that. I need to learn in light of sin to choose right in spite of generational sin. There's something about it, I don't understand all of it, but in a, um, uh, Exodus describes the fact that, you know, when a man becomes like an idolater, God visits that iniquity. And I believe what it's saying is that whatever our father's sins were, it's going to be likely and more bent we'll be a little more bent to have those sins too, naturally. 
Whatever your mother's sins were, you, you are very likely to be a little more bent to be that way too. But it's still choosing it. That's why it's good. I mean, you want to know your parents and love them and honor them because you should, but you ought to kind of, you can learn from them in good and bad. Choose right in spite of generational sins. Well, well I, you know, it's not my fault. My dad was an alcoholic. Well, what that did was your dad was an alcoholic, so it gave you, you know, probably early exposure to it. And maybe you saw your dad kind of function through it. So you thought, well, I can probably function through it too. And you, but it still doesn't mean that it's still excusable. Uh, Clarence Sexton is a pastor in Tennessee of Temple Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee, and he started um, Crown College of the Bible. He is amazing testimony. He grew up in Tennessee. His dad was like 15 years older than his mother, and his dad was a professional gambler, not like on TV, but like the old school type that had to hide from the law type professional gambler and an alcoholic. And he said, I grew up smelling all those things. And to him, it turned him away. He was like, I don't know. I don't know about this. And he and his brother, he had, I could tell another story about he and his brother and his sisters. But basically, he saw the ruin that it was causing. It split his mom and dad up. And there was a divorce, and he was raised by his mother. But his dad took him out one time, went to pick him up after the divorce, and drove him out somewhere. And I think they went to some place, some lookout. And he basically told his son, he says, do not do what I've done. And by the way, his dad was, had like a terminal uh, condition, like cancer or something. He, he didn't live the rest of the year. But he says, do not do what I've done. Do better. Do better. Because Clarence Sexton thought, well... Um, you know, he always thought preachers' sons have sons who become preachers and teachers' kids become teachers. And what does a gambler and drinker's son become? That's what he was thinking. And here he was. He got a word of encouragement. Then the year his dad died, don't do it. And he didn't do it. And he did, you know, better and follow the Lord. But I'm responsible. I need to choose right in spite of generational sins. I need to choose right in spite of group sins. This is a big one in America. I am really sorry that, um, you know, it makes me sad. There's so much homosexual teaching infesting our schools and our media. It's just always slipping in somewhere. Let's make the... Let's make the couple look really cool and trendy in that movie, not the main actor, but just kind of slip it into your conscience a little bit. You know, let's make the gay guys, eh, just keep slipping it in and slipping it in and slipping it in. I really feel bad about that, that it's coming in. It's dangerous. And I feel bad for people who, it seems like women sometimes go to that because they responded adversely to being abused or something when they were younger, and I feel bad about that. That pushed them that way. But it was still a choice. And men who go and work with men, that which is ungodly and unseemly, it's still a choice. They may have been born a little soft and been raised by 
maybe their mom and had a lot of sisters around them, but that still didn't excuse them from choosing to go that way. Group sins, like, well, it's cool, it's okay now, and, and there's shows, and that kids are teenagers, they don't even, their brains are still developing, right? They are, their brains are still developing, I think, into the early 20s, perhaps. And so what happens, we teach them these crazy concepts, well, they're sinful, but even if they weren't sinful, they're really crazy, and we expect them to choose that stuff and discern it. Well, they, they are choosing some of it. And partly while kids, boys are choosing to be gay and girls are choosing to be lesbian and some are choosing to be confused, trans, and all that stuff, is because they see it as a group, it's okay. They're choosing it on the group acceptance. Even though they say, I'm just going to be my own person. No, what you're doing is you're reading the great landscape in society, in the doctrines of your school, in media, in songs, in the, in the news, and you're taking that in and saying, it must be okay, I'm going to do this. And I feel bad. But people still need to choose to do right, go God's way, even if God's way is becoming a path that hardly anybody takes. Daniel did that, right? He was a minority in the court of the king, and he chose to, in his case, it was a diet. I'm not going to defile myself with that diet, but you're the only one doing that, you and your Jewish buddies. Well, then so be it. Or, or the friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when when Nebuchadnezzar made the image and, and uh, it was made to where, you know, everybody needs to bow to the image and all that stuff. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <laughs> minority, I guess we're not going to bow then. They chose to do right in spite of group sin. The group is sinning. Well, then we'll suffer. And that's what they chose. It can, and God, God keeps us, God holds us accountable to those scenarios. I like Micaiah in 1 Kings 22, 13 and 14. He chose to do right in spite, of, in spite of the group sins, the group sin messaging. You know, they, I love that story when Jehoshaphat and Ahab are not, shouldn't have been partners, but they're partnering up, thinking about going to war and all of Ahab's phony four prophet prophets we're coming in the court saying, yay, we're going to do it. You guys go to war. Thus saith the Lord, we're going to win. And they're doing kind of a little dramatic demonstrations of that. And, and Jehoshaphat's like, you know what, Ahab, can we just get another prophet besides that we could have come and tell us if we should go to war? And Ahab's like, yeah, there's this guy named Micaiah, but I hate him. Why do you hate him? Because he always prophesies evil about me. Well, he probably calls it as it is. If it's just evil, he calls it evil, you know. But he's like, I don't want to get that guy, Ahab says, but all right, all right, go. And Joshua said, all right, let's go get him. So they, they, the guy, the messenger, goes to get Micaiah. I think Micaiah was like in prison or something. They go to get him. And the guy just comes to get him and says, hey, Micaiah, the kings, dude, kings want to talk to you. I want to get a word from God about this scenario. And I just want you to know all the other preachers, this is what they're saying. So your word better be like them. That's basically what they told him. They threatened him right up front. They're all saying this, so you better preach that too. And he said, whatever my God says to me, that will I speak. <laughs> Not what you're saying to me will I speak. What God says to me, that will I speak. That should be our motto in life. You don't have to be a preacher to have that attitude. Whatever God tells me, that's what I'm going to say. Whatever God says I should believe, that's what I'm going to believe. Not what everybody else believes, even if it's highly funded group sin. So I'm responsible for my own sin 
choices. And then two more points quickly. I'm responsible for my spiritual attitude. I am responsible for my spiritual attitude. Proverbs 25, 28 talks about a person having rule over their own spirit. The idea is that I can rule my own spirit. I should not let somebody else rule my spirit. I need to take responsibility for my attitude. I know other people can challenge it, but I got to take responsibility for my attitude and rule my own spirit. Psalm 78, 8 also. And then number four, I am responsible for my salvation decision. I'm not responsible for... I'm not responsible for salvation. It's already, the work has already been done. The work has been done. Christ, through His Holy Spirit, presents it to me, convicts me. The Father draws me. All that other work that God does. And I'm responsible to respond to that or not. Look at chapter, again, chapter 18, verse 30, 31. God says, I want you to choose to to, to repent. He says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one of you according to his ways, saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Look what he says, verse 31. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God, Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. God, if God, God wouldn't ordain something he doesn't have pleasure in. He says, I haven't made it to where they're going to die. I want them to create them so that they'll die and go to hell. I want people to repent. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So turn yourselves and live. God's saying, you choose right. Romans 1.20 talks about the fact that uh, we're without excuse. So a person needs, is responsible for their salvation decision in the sense of when the gospel is presented and people are shown that it's there. You and I each decided, all right, I'm going to have faith. All right, I'm going to trust. It's kind of like you each decide to get in the car and trust the transportation home, right? Some of you, so you're taking it for granted. But there's other times, like at a theme park. Where, like my wife and Noah, were much braver than the rest of us who acted like we were tough cowards. You know, Deb and Noah go on, I don't remember which theme park it was. Well, both of them, actually. <laughs> Knott's Bay Farm and SeaWorld, they both did the one that was a little more scary. John and I were like, oh, we're, we're not going to go on that one. Although John did one really cool one at, at Knott's Bay Farm. It was a real high tower, and it just like dropped. Ah! Ah! He did that. He trusted it. You know, he chose to trust it. I chose not to. I chose to keep my lunch (laughs) in my stomach, you know. So it's a choice, right? So personal responsibility. How are you? We're just wrapping this up. Do you blame people? Are we blamers? Watch out how we blame. Think about what you're saying before you blame somebody. I mean, somebody hits you in the car, you can say, it's not my fault. They hit me in the car. That's true. But if you are driving... And you run into somebody because you're a distracted driver and all that. Ah, it's your fault. Do you blame? This is, this is husbands. We blame our wives, right? Whatever it is, my wife probably. The woman that thou gavest me. Do we blame our wives? You know? 
Aren't you glad Jesus ultimately took our blame? Yeah. I'm not, you know, even if some, maybe my wife is to blame for something, I'm not, I'm starting to like, why don't you just be a little more like Jesus? Even if there was or is, take, take it. Let's not be blamers, let's take responsibility. Let's teach our kids that. You're responsible for your choices. And because this will be revolutionary to the average political mind out there that thinks it's not my fault, the government needs to fix this thing. All right? But that's the Bible. 